it definitely is a totally different world when you have your own project and you're expected to just like know things. <laughs> Um, today we're joined by our guest, Liz Wyman, and we're excited to have her with us to talk about um, her passion and her interests and how she shares resources. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, to introduce myself, I guess, I am Liz Wyman from Northern Illinois University. <laughs> I am a second year PhD student in the biology department. So um, I'm stud studying fungal genetics and I have a passion for um, science communication and just kind of like making grad school easier for students that come after me. That's exactly what, what we're doing here. We're so glad to have you. We appreciate you reaching out to us and getting connected so that we can have these conversations and it's one thing when Kate and I are here talking to each other, other students who are in psychology and we have all these ideas and then we want this to be, we want people to communicate outside of their own division or department because we're all grad students. Research is going to be a little different from area to area, but there's still going to be those same like startup struggles that we're all going to be experiencing and and something that you continue to experience if you want to keep growing and moving. And it's one of those things that I think we, Kate and I both agree on that that's a part that we're very passionate about too. And we're so glad that you're coming from somewhere else that you can maybe validate us. <laughs> in. And so our listeners may be able to say like, yeah, that Liz, she knows what she's talking about. And I'll give Dustin and Kate a little bit more credit. Um, but so you, you mentioned science communication. And what got you interested in science communication? Yeah, um, so I guess the first thing was like, I noticed in my undergrad, as I was starting to read more research papers, that the research wasn't disseminated mm -hmm. to the public. Um, and so I kind of went on a stint of like citizen science and like, oh, how do we incorporate like the average citizen into our science world that's kind of like complicated and like uh intimidating to a lot of people and so that was like where it started in my undergrad i did a research paper on citizen science and then i kind of uh from there was like oh my gosh there's this whole world of science communication where i can just like people are doing the work that i want to do so um it was really exciting to find that like home and then also to be a part of it and like learn learn about it more so that's so great i think one of the cool things about science communication and like particularly i think a lot of times it plays out on twitter for me um or i guess that's my like not not necessarily me being a science communicator though sometimes but my like ingesting science communicate is like um is it's something that I am like sort of interested in but like have a total like have no entry point into and I'm always like amazed and really thrilled when I learn something new by someone's tweet tutorial or someone breaks something down that's like of interest or um, I find like at the end of it I'm like oh that's actually related and really informative towards my own research interests. It doesn't have to be that's like not the point of science just to be related to your interest but I don't know. I think science communication people in particular are always good about balancing like their own passion and their own expertise with 
making sure that's something that's digestible to the larger public. And I really appreciate that. So it's great that you're doing it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think this is like also things that we are trying to do a better job in. So just as a, as a whole, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like there's so many different degrees on how people engage with science communication where some maybe like tenured faculty don't do that because they don't have to, or they don't, I don't know. It, it seems like as a scientist, you have to do that. That's like part of being a scientist. You're doing science for the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I wonder too, if like part of it can be like the difficulties of, or the like miscommunications that might inevitable, like can be inevitable. Um, with certain topics, but at the same time, I do think maybe the system doesn't always prioritize communicating your public's, like public finding, your findings to the public, um, but it's a challenge. So Liz, how did you um, start being like a science communicator? How did you get into it? Justin and I are still working on it. Um, yeah. I don't want to like put words into Justin's mouth, but I feel like, yeah, we're starting, so. <laughs> I am still like in the starting phases of science communication. It's more of a passion. Like you said, I follow lots of people on Twitter. And so I'm constantly picking up uh, tips and tricks and like, how can I better communicate the work I do? Or like, is there a way I could break down someone else's work into something that's uh, like super easy to understand for everyone? I love that. <laughs> I know it's, it's so hard to do. Do you have any like, classes or things at your university or like have you taken workshops on science communication or you mentioned your undergrad and that was a a starting point like teach us what it, what is going on <laughs> <laughs> um so i would say a lot of it i've learned just online um trying to figure out like what science communication means because to a lot of people it means a different thing um and what it means to me and how i want to apply it to like my research and my interests um and that's one thing i think about science communication that's it's really like about the person um you have to you have to love it in order to be able to like break it down and and uh share that love with other people um so i guess for me i really i've really loved science twitter because they've connected me to so many different people to see so many different styles of science communication, like be it a video or like a, like a tweet thread, like you said. Um, so, and that's one thing, like it comes in all forms. So you can like talk about it to people, just like spread the word, uh, word of mouth. Um, you can tweet about it. You can upload videos on YouTube. Um, and so it's definitely like educational TikToks. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't have a TikTok, but I see them all on Twitter and I'm like, oh they can't leap into the Twitter or the TikTok world yet, but like, it's like fun to see, right? Exactly. Yeah. I had listened to a recent episode of Everything Hurts and there was someone on there who is like, has a ton on TikTok. And so I was like, I'm going to download TikTok and take a look at it. Uh, I feel like a very old man looking at these things and like, how does this work? But I keep scrolling and I'm like, this is interesting. Um, 
but it is, yeah, how do you connect with people? And sometimes maybe a short video on TikTok or a, I've heard people trying to use like Instagram stories too to, to share information. Um, but it's how do you digest and like disseminate your knowledge in a cohesive understandable way to somebody who doesn't have the years of experience that we do and i think that that kind of leads to like first we need to know the knowledge we need to bring in the knowledge into ourselves and understand it so that we can then relay it to other people and i was reading over we'll have a blog post that will be going up when this this drops um i sound so official when i say like things are dropping and yeah I said merch last time I know uh we have merch just drop that I think if we we get merch then first of all I want to say drop the mitten glove debate on you if you missed that you can go to a previous episode very passionate about it but if we have merch I think that should be like number one yes but anyway um yes understanding things blog thank you Yeah, there will be another blog post that will go along with this that outlines, Liz did a really great job at at outlining getting into reading scientific literature. It is a completely different style that takes a long time and takes practice to get into. And there's some really great pointers and tips and tricks on here that can help get it started. Um, So Liz, what are some like first, what got you interested in wanting to put this document together and have this blog post? Yeah, um, I think the, the first thing is that I realized, oh, I did not know any of this before I started my program. Nobody teaches this and, to you. They just assume you know it. Exactly. And I, I didn't, I wasn't a part of like a journal club in college, like in undergrad. And I think that's where a lot of people get their like reading skills is when they're in a journal club. And I didn't have that experience. Um, so I came in like very blind. I was like, what is this? How do, what are these big <laughs> words? And I'm like, I'm looking up every other word and like, it's, it was really hard. Um, and now it's a little easier because I'm, I do the experiments. Um, and so I can kind of understand the methods mm-hmm. a little bit more, which is not super important to a paper but it helps me like connect the dots um, no no I feel like I used to like read the I used to just read the introduction and the discussion when I was an undergrad and now I'm like I usually like I go through the introduction obviously to get some background if it's an area I'm like super familiar with and then I go kind of like I really look at the methods because it applies a lot more to like what I'm planning on doing and what I do and yeah so I get yeah. that I love methods writing it and this could be a difference between fields um it sounds like with like with experiments there's usually a protocol that's set and so the methods aren't very like if you know that there's a protocol that it's followed there's not really deviations from that is that right yeah that's uh perfectly right most of the methods are pretty abbreviated and a lot of times if it's covered in another paper, they'll just like cite that other paper with like a few sentences on what they did. Yeah. I think within psych, it can get, people can sometimes be like a little bit shadier in (laughs) how they describe things. And then hence this replication crisis that the uh, psychological sciences are currently faced with. Yeah. Um, There's a little bit of 
tea like tea leaf what is it yeah tea reading, reading the tea leaves yeah, reading yeah. the tea leaves and uh method sections and psych papers that you might uh, which i'm not sure like if that translates over to biology because like sometimes if i see they measured anxiety in a certain way or something like that i'm like hmm interesting you just like a two question measure on anxiety not sure about that but like is that like similar for biology or do you you feel like when you read it you're like oh this is like reliable and I would say for the most part it's pretty reliable like what what is written is pretty understandable from like a scientist's point of view and like you could easily replicate most of the experiments and a lot of times I think if you're struggling with replicating results you can always reach out to the authors and they'll like give you some tips too. I feel to learn from this. That is that is so awesome. <laughs> that does not ha that just like yeah that's how science has to happen right and you have you ever had to reach out to an author about like replicating something or I have not um but I have uh known people that have had to so and sometimes I mean sometimes they're apprehensive but most of the time it's all in good <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it can get I think it's because there are like the experiments that you're able to do you are directly observing the phenomenon that you're trying to investigate where we as psychologists have to like make all these inferences and here's a question about how sad or upset you feel and there can be a lot of bias that plays into that that we can't we don't really know what is we can't measure what is depression like with a, a blood sample depression is pcr a thing you do in biological research yes okay yeah okay, PCR. What is i don't know Polymerase chain reaction. It basically, oh, do you want me to describe it? Yeah, oh, go for I it. I don't know it. Yeah, no, I go don't for know. it. Yeah. Okay. It's like uh, you take a tiny piece of DNA and you have these um, primers which will attach to the DNA um, and replicate it over and over and over and over again. So by the end of the reaction, you have like a really concentrated DNA sample to use in your experiments. That's like. You know why I know this? Murder podcast. That's why. I was like, how do I know this? Uh, <laughs> but you did such a good job. See, this is a good example of your science communication. Exactly. Yep. I didn't know. I've listened to loads of murder podcasts and never knew what a PCR test. I just nod my head, the CSI effect fully, fully attached to my brain, where I'm like, yes, science, like he must have done it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm sorry. So like to meander back to what we were talking about. So you started to like figure things out for yourself, um, look into methods, like tell us like how that progressed for you for like reading about reading articles. and Yeah, so when I first started reading articles, I didn't know what I was doing. And I would read the whole thing, um, which is like obnoxious because they're like, can be 20 pages long. And so I'm like, like how, do, tiny font. <laughs> how do people do this? Like every day, <laughs> why? This is like so boring and like I don't understand what's happening. And, um, and so I slowly was like realizing in conversations with um, professors that I had and other, other students around me that like they didn't read the whole paper. And so by senior year, I was like, let me just skim the introduction and like, that'll be fine <laughs> um, for our conversations in class but um 
so that is like where I started. And now um, I am definitely, I don't have to look up as many words, which is amazing. It's always like my favorite part about reading uh, is when I read it and I'm like, I totally understood that. Like, wow, I've, I've learned something. Um, that's like so <laughs> yeah, a yeah. little, little joy that I get. <laughs> um, but that happened, that has happened more and more often now that I've um, come so far in, in reading science papers. And so um, that's one thing I do want to say is like, it's not easy um, to even, even when you're, in it for a long time. If I were to read a psychology paper, it would be, I'd be back at square one because a, a lot of the lingo is different. Um, and so it would be me looking up all of these definitions to actually break it down again. Oh, totally. I think a big part of it is like compassion for yourself and like knowing that it's going to take a while. Um, when I originally, I had a job um, right out of college in a psychiatry department and um, it had, and it was a lot on hormones, which I hadn't done any like work on. And I would read those articles and be like, I have no idea what's happening. I don't know what this means. And then, um, like two years later, as I was leaving the job, I like reread an article. I was like, I know what most of this means. It's great. And then I still feel that way for new areas in my, within like within psych too. Um, and I feel like, I don't know about you, Dustin, you just know everything. No, the I definitely don't. Uh, the first time that I went into a lab meeting, like as an undergrad, right? I had just graduated and started in a lab, and the first reading they had was this huge uh, chapter that the lab had written together. It was like it was like over it was like 150 pages. And I was like, oh, this is normal. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Not normal. No, like, and why wouldn't you reach out to an undergrad who's like joining your lab and be like, hey, don't read all of this. (laughs) We're not going to expect you to talk about anything. Um, I think, but like, yeah, I feel like there's also different levels for me of sometimes I like in writing my prelim uh, proposal, I'll look for certain papers because I I like have a general idea and I know that I've read it somewhere and I'm looking for, oh, these were the results that they found. And I just want to confirm that that's there so that I can cite it. And that is like later on down the road when you're writing a paper, you're putting stuff together, you're making a poster. And then there's the other part, which I think your, your blog post really outlines is those first initial steps of when you're trying to understand an area at first. And like, if you're transitioning from like, I hadn't done a whole lot in puberty research and especially not with animals who, who studies puberty and animals. Apparently a lot of people do. Um, why would you do that? Uh, Kate is laughing because of puberty. It's a hard time. Actually, fun fact, yeah, no, sorry, for some cows, for example, cows and dogs go through puberty and they um, have like more uh, or like less predictable behavior. So there are some proxies for like emotional uh, changes, something like that. I don't know. I don't do animal research on puberty. Way to just jump in and then backpedal right out of it. I was like, shoot, 
what if all of these pubertal animal animal pubertal researchers come after me? They are. Just I've already close your DMs. <laughs> shut down yeah. your mentions. I think you can do that. I don't know. Sign off of Twitter. Um, what were we talking about before you were rude and interrupted me in front of our guest here? <laughs> Adjusting. <laughs> Now that we have witnesses. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like adjusting your expectations. Um, so then you put together, but then you, Liz, you put something together to like help other people. So who's your like, who's your audience and like, who do you, who do you want to like reach out to with this? Um, I would say when I'm putting together these sorts of posts, it's like I'm thinking of myself a few years ago. And so not knowing anything, not having anywhere to like turn to comfortably like and comfortably ask questions. That's another thing all about. Ugh, could go on a total tangent on that. Um, it's hard. It's so hard. <laughs> but um, I definitely have, like have my younger self in mind and like all of those students that don't know what they're doing and don't feel comfortable asking someone about it or don't even know that this is something they should be doing. Um, that's like another big thing is like well I didn't know that I had to write an annotated bibliography like and that would be something that would be helpful in the future or like using a reference manager I was like what is this so uh, I tried to get all my undergrads to use a reference manager and I was like furiously like you need this I don't think I convinced even one of them if you're listening undergrads <laughs> we're gonna Kate's gonna come after you and and get you in your Twitter DMs, <laughs> 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 the animal researchers. <laughs> no, but like I think that's I I kind of want to go down this tangent. So if you'll both like indulge me, like I just remember the first time there are a lot of like first where like someone asked me to do something in research, and I was like I don't know what that is, and they don't know how to do it, and I'm just like googling and figuring out from there like someone was like oh can you do can you pull a quick lit review for me and I was like what is a literature review like is it like a book review is it a book report like right like I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have had those moments or if lit, like a literature review is one of those moments for you but um it's just like a lot of unknown stuff where you don't know where to get started and you don't know how to ask like if someone's asking you for help as an RA, you don't want to be like, well, I'm not going to be as helpful because <laughs> I'm going to ask you like what you're even ask like looking for. I've had moments in the lab, like when I'm doing an experiment and someone is like showing me how to do something uh, like PCR, for example, that was like one of the first things I learned in my undergrad when I joined a lab. Um, and it took me a while, like I would be, I would be, hesitant to ask questions um because it's like well I don't want to admit that I don't know this stuff but at the same time I don't know this stuff so it's like how how do you feel comfortable finding that balance and like because I think especially in in uh stem fields like there's that you got to be the best and there's like a really competitive um attitude in these in these classes in these labs and uh if you show weakness in any way it's like why are you here or maybe that's just like the little voice in my head um but I think that's a that is like the main thing that kept me from asking questions it's like well I don't want to sound stupid and then you find out I'm not that smart and you kick me out like that is 
I didn't want that at all. So I was just like, like you, I would be like, okay, let me Google this real fast. Um, see if I can figure it out on my own. Um, but it does, it does, uh, I will say, once you start asking questions, it makes a world of difference. Like if you can just get over that tiny voice and ask your questions, one, you feel awesome because you're like, I freaking asked that question. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you are getting an answer from someone that like you respect and look up to. And so um, it is definitely like it points for you. That's all I have to say. No, I think that's so true. And like, I also think as you get further along, I know that like I'm guilty of this. I forget what's basic and what's intro I take for granted it's like the same thing where I'm like oh I don't think of myself as an expert in this because like or I don't think I'm an expert in anything but like I don't think of this as like specialized knowledge because like it's just become so normed for me that we're all speaking the same language of the people I spend most of my time with but I also think it cultivates like good mentor mentee relationships and having been a mentee because I got comfortable like I remember for me um I made the decision that I was like, oh, in order to get into grad school, I'm going to start needing to be like more of an active participant in lectures and things like that. So like the professors I asked to give me a letter of recommendation, they know who I am. And so I had to get over the hump of being like, oh, I have a question. And then, um, but like it led to this like great place where I formed relationships with people and they didn't think I was dumb. And so that like made me feel like I wasn't dumb. And <laughs> I also try to extend that courtesy, like when I'm talking to like an undergrad and something's totally new to them. Um, I try to like, pa like pass that on to you where I'm like, okay, this may seem obvious to me, but like, this is brand new to them. And I think that's also like why we're all so passionate about science communication too, is that we were that person who had that, I don't want to ask these questions because then they won't think of me as a good student or as a good scientist or as a good RA. And then they won't let me progress or do this next thing. And you don't want anybody to feel that way. You, don't, you want to be able to have everybody have access to the things that they want to have access to without needing to overcome that, that voice because that doesn't seem to go away. <laughs> that little voice is always there. Like, oh no, you, you aren't going to do your prelim. Like that's, that's not going to happen. Or like, you're not going to get, uh, a position after grad school or um, not speaking from any thoughts that I've had at all. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's one of those things that you're like, these are, this is knowledge that I've just had. And you never feel like an expert in your field, but you are. And I think each one of us is, we wouldn't be where we are if we weren't to some degree. And I, I keep keep trying to think of that one quote, Kate, that you had written. I know, I was thinking of it too. Uh, it's about imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, I hope I, I don't, I, yeah, it's in one of my likes deep down in the deep, deep archive. <laughs> but it's like, um, it's, oh yes, okay, so it's uh, me. I <laughs> am an imbecile surrounded by beings of impossible intelligence or something like that. Um, and then I, an imbecile, have fooled them all. <laughs> so it's this thing that you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but yet everyone else is like, you're good. 
and you're not that you're not that like smart stupid where you're like smart enough to trick people but stupid enough to be stupid yep it's ever me i've figured it out yes each each one of us our inner voices are telling us that we're the exception we're all what's that movie um where he pretends to be different people yeah well uh, (laughs) where who pretends to be different people the master of disguise with dana carvey it's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Catch me if you can with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's it. Catch me if you can. That's what I'm thinking of. We're all just like research versions of Catch. I've never seen this movie, so like. <laughs> that's perfect. Okay, so it, um, so you, to get back to things that you're here for, Liz, because your time is important to us our time we don't care about <laughs> it's your time <laughs> throw that out the window <laughs> yeah just get out um so you had you got over that voice and you were talking to other professors and other students and realized like oh you don't have to read all of this but then like what made you want to take that next step to actually write about it and get it out for other people Yeah, I think that goes back to um, being first gen, I didn't have access to a lot of things. Like, I didn't know about a lot of things because I Mm -hmm. just didn't know. Um, And so knowing what I know now, I'm like, well, I don't want any student to feel that way ever again. And so that's like my end goal after this PhD is to hopefully become a professor and try and like help other students that are coming up um, not have to worry, like, not have to worry about this sort of thing and just know it, you know? Um, And so that's kind of where it comes from, I would say. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about this before, but I'm also for, I'm first gen college student and grad student. So yeah, they're even just like getting into college, there's so many things that I had no idea, like what was supposed to happen. And then now in graduate school, you're looking to your peers but then it's that balance of how do I want them to perceive me and like, what is, who am I in this program and making sure that you don't come across as stupid, even though I doubt any of us could. Um, but, but one of us will. <laughs> it's me. Uh, <laughs> and it's clearly been me today. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say it's going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> We're all imposters. Uh, We're all catch me if you can we're all, that'd be, yeah, I'd, I could live with being Leonardo DiCaprio sometimes. Oh, is that who's the guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's him, and then I think Tom Hanks is, is chasing after him. This is the one, he writes fake checks, right? I think so, and he's like, he pretends to be a pilot at one point. This all sounds familiar. Yeah. I've never seen the movie, but culturally sounds correct. This is in Kate's Future Directions, is watching Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> No, but like, um, I think the argument, I'm not first gen, and I think there was a lot of, like, I also had siblings who did the process right before me, and, you know, like, I, I think we say this on the podcast, on our podcast episodes, all three of them, <laughs> we've said it a lot, but like, the demystifying part is like so important, because it yeah. just seems much less terrifying, and it's like much more, um, it's much more doable when it doesn't feel like, 
I don't know where my next like step is going. Like, is it going to be like when you think there's one more step and you go, ah, um, or is it going to be like this exciting new thing and you're going to be supported along the way and, um, knowing what to do just from a basic, like step-by-step level is so important. And I don't think we think about that because it's a system that just kind of perpetuates some like inequalities as far as education goes. Um, we don't think about that enough, like what we don't teach and what we assume everyone knows. And in that assumption, it becomes validated because we're all smart and we're going to figure it out. We're going to do those Google searches. We're going to ask other people on the internet because we don't want to ask people in our department or anything. Um, Your time's more valuable than that though, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> to spend 20 hours is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Others. Like, no, the, like, hour you spend Googling could be done doing so many other things. Mm -hmm. And then if you multiply that by all the other things that no one taught you and no one um, explained to you, then it just ends up being a mess of your day spent staring at the Google search bar or Bing. I don't know. Don't bring Bing into this. (laughs) I think. Yes, Liz. Tell us something that actually makes sense. (laughs) So you mentioned, like, demystifying experience and I think that's all like ties into exactly what science communication is it's like we're trying to demystify all of these like experiments and uh, results for the the general public and so that way they can make informed decisions about like what they're doing with their life like if you don't know you don't know right and that I mean that's <laughs> that is that is it <laughs> no no but like that's yeah. so important, right because like then it influences like you know like like public health kind of behaviors right so like for example like vaccines like huge example of like people don't understand and as much as I'd like to be like critical and say like wow these people like are thoughtless and stupid like in some ways not always like not going to say it's just this but like it is a failure of science communication to have not more clearly stated and walk people through what vaccines are why they're not going to cause autism, um, why these bad scientists who promoted that are bad and wrong, and how it's very unlikely that a microchip is going to be inserted into your body without your knowledge, etc. Uh, <laughs> but right, like that's the kind of thing that can stem from not having science communication in your life or not prioritizing that. Yeah, I also want to acknowledge that there is a, like a large distrust in are like doctors they haven't always been the greatest in terms of like human rights so uh, if you think of like uh Henrietta Lacks and along those lines so such a long history yeah psychology has the same deeply problematic roots um I was like lucky enough during quarantine to like listen to my mom's end of like a my mom's a physician um of like a phone visit she was having and um obviously like it was all like properly de-identified so I wasn't but like listening to my mom's end of the conversation like it was really fascinating because of the way she like just um she like kind of inspired me as science communication shout out to my mom she doesn't listen to this um but like it was it was really interesting because she like she was like here's why here are your options um she does like reproductive health so this is helping people make like decisions, she goes, here are the options we have for like your treatment or your general health plan. 
here's why these are the options and here's what I recommend but also like it's up to you because like I'm informing you of all of these options and you know sometimes it's with physicians sometimes it's like a further back more basic science view but like I just you know I, I just think it's so important and it's something I really um hope that I'll like get better at because I feel like I still am learning and I still do a pretty imperfect job when people ask me what I'm studying. Um, it's a good opportunity to like teach and convey excitement and tackle like misinformation, but it's hard to do sometimes. And it can be tricky too, like how you go about doing that and like with who, who do you engage with in these conversations? And because of this distrust, are you just gonna further perpetuate if you're not supporting their views or things like that? Um, like how does that, how is that received? Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's what we're necessarily doing, but that can happen. No, that I, I think, um, that's happened to me before. I think a lot of, when I was working in the menopause space, a lot of people would talk about like random supplements that like were not FDA approved and had no like real clinical or utility, but, you know, had that placebo effect going for them. And when people told you about it, they were like, this thing is really helping me. Like, I was never quite sure what to do because I was like, I really want to tackle that as like, a, well, you know, like there are things, there are treatments you can take that aren't approved and are, could be very dangerous. But also like, sometimes, like if you're drinking soy milk, there's not really a huge downside to help with your hot flashes, which actually is a thing that people do like, you know, the downside is, like, the placebo effect no longer works for them, and they feel like their hot flashes are getting worse, and, like, um, it's just a balance, and also just navigating it in normal conversations, or telling people they're wrong <laughs> in a nice way, uh, you know, you have to balance that. Yeah, I think you definitely have to consider, like, who you're trying to uh, engage in these conversations, especially just in terms of, like, science communication, if people aren't willing to hear that information then they're not going to hear that information and so um that's a yeah, point. definitely considering that as well yeah that's a whole like area of intervention within the psych world where you are trying to it's called motivational interviewing where you are trying to motivate somebody to engage in treatment usually for like substance use we're not saying that people who don't want to hear science or substance users. Um, but like that line of, we want you to be in a space where you can engage with us at the same, uh, like same openness level. I think that's, that's one of the key things and it can be tough to, to balance that. So what are like, I, I think I've used Twitter for the most part and we've tried, we have like some blogs and some videos through this, um, speaking to mainly like grad students but I don't I've done very little beyond that have either of you done anything what <laughs> that have was you a very done? Bad question you done anything <laughs> what what kinds of science communication have you partaken in I would agree with you it's mainly like other scientists at this point in my like career but hopefully it'll be more like I mean I talk to my family a lot about science and so that's like my initial uh, connection into science communication is like I give them the facts and then 
they're more willing to like hear because I'm their like relative. Um, but it's definitely hard. I don't know if you'd want to challenge just a stranger because then there's like, there's nothing in it for them to listen to you. Um, and so definitely like picking and choosing your, your little battles, I would say. Yeah. I signed up to do letters to a pre-scientist. So, um, if, you, if anyone's listening right now, um, it's a great organization. Their applications are closed this year, but you could do it next year. Um, and that's to like write primary elementary age children or school age children more generally um, about like you, their interests and then connecting it with your own like scientific interests. And I'm really excited to do that. Um, it'll be my first time, obviously like our work here, but I find with my, so my, um, research areas, puberty, pregnancy, menopause, and it's an area like a lot of people go through puberty. A lot of people know someone who's been pregnant or went through menopause. So I get a lot of like everyday conversations if people ask about my interest and Dustin I know has the same thing with sleep. And so we talked a little bit about this in our first episode that it's just sometimes hard to balance uh, those public conversations you have with people who have strong opinions or aren't particularly interested in this in science um but they're interested in telling you about their lives and like being sensitive to that um I feel like I'm always kind of balancing oh what are you trying to get out of this conversation like conversational partner um and how can I like wedge in science education I'm kind of annoying about it to be honest I didn't know about the the letters to a pre-scientist I I signed up for uh Skype a scientist and that I think is a like a rolling thing that you can just sign up for. Basically, you put in information about yourself and your area of research, and then instructors can reach out to you. So apparently, nobody wants me to talk to like school-aged kids. We'll just start it. I think you're good. Yeah, we'll see. And shout out to Max Holly. I think who am I correct in yeah. saying? Okay, yeah. Um, you can also look at our You Can Grad School YouTube for our talk with Max Holly on science communication. Um, and yeah, he was the one who showed me like letters to a pre-scientist. So I was pretty psyched to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you have the same thing? Cause your interests are in, let me get this right. Fungal genetics. I just listened to a fungus. I'm really interested in fungus. Um, and <laughs> I know that's one of my favorite books is called magical mushrooms and mischievous molds. Um, it's a classic. Um, but like, do you ever get like, funny like do you ever get funny questions about your area of interest and like what's I don't know if you can remember like off the top of your head what's like what are the some of the funnier things you've heard about your own area I guess I, I don't know if it's necessarily funny but a lot of people when I say fungal genetics they're more like oh the mushrooms that come out of the ground like that's what that's, funny. that's funny. yeah <laughs> and that is I mean that is not what I study but it's it's also an interest of mine. I don't know anything about mushrooms. Um, I know about like, um, yeah, just we use Aspergillus species in the lab that I use. And so those are like tiny little, um, more like similar to a bread mold, but not. Uh, yes, okay. That also was what I was thinking of. Sweet. I'm still in line. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of Petri dishes. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I got to take home my own, um, what's it called? It's like a single cell, like slime mold, something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, in my molds class that I took, I had it as a pet for a week and then it was too disgusting to keep. Um, 
but uh, I, that's so cool. You probably get a lot of the fun guy jokes along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that to you. I just held back. <laughs> I can see the strain on your face. No, no. Well, but how can, um, I guess like we should probably like wrap up soon, but um, just like, how did you get interested in fungal genetics? Like it's such a niche, fun, weird area. So I guess I've always been interested in mushrooms. They're like just the coolest thing to me. I remember doing a presentation on them in eighth grade. Like that's how far back it goes. <laughs> My like love um so I too when I first like joined the lab I'm in I was like oh yeah mushrooms and I was like talking to the advisor about it and she was like that's not what we do and I was like hmm oh no what did I just do I admitted I don't know anything <laughs> um, but she was really nice about it and was like uh actually we do like more so we do more molecular biology work so PCR and uh gel electrophoresis and, and bacterial transformation stuff, if you know any of that. Um, but those are the, like, gist of what we do. And so I, um, yeah, I guess I've just loved them forever. And so it just kind of fell into my lap the way. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. Also, yeah, also just really quick, since no one listening can, like, see Liz's face, she's just, like, lit up when talking about mushrooms and uh, fungal fungal genetic and I don't know I just like really it's fun to see someone else like light up about the things they're excited about it is it is always really nice to get to talk to people who are really passionate and excited about the things that they study and also then how you can apply that to future generations of scientists and so you have this this reading we'll put it up as a blog post but how to to read through scientific articles and put together certain things. You have nice definitions of terminology and how to read, how to annotate. Um, are there other things that you're thinking about wanting to talk more about or other things that you're, you're building or thinking about? I would say just like making the grad school experience more accessible to people because I, I did not realize um, that I could go straight to PhD until someone told me. Um, and then I was like, well, why would I get a master's? I'm just going to go for it. Let's go for it. Um, and just like, I didn't realize how competitive it was either. And so just like having those conversations with undergrads, like it's really freaking competitive if you're, and if you're not prepared for that, like you're going to get your heart broken when they reject you. And also the application process is way different than undergrad. So there's a, sorry, there's just a lot of things about the no. experience. I could just keep going on and on. <laughs> You'll have to come back. Yeah. We'll, we'll have you come back and talk about this. No, but like that's our interest too and our passion. So I think that's great. Also, do you have a Twitter handle that we could, like how can people follow you? Yes, it's at Elizabeth underscore Wyman. So uh, to our future directions uh, section, unless, is there anything else you want to... Why well, just, like, what do you think, like, we're doing this podcast, we're hoping that people listen to it. What do you think is a good way to get this information to people? I think part of it is just really cerebral podcast. Um, so, no, I think, like, a big part of it is also, like, opening up your networks um, and talking to people, like finding ways to make yourself available and 
also seeking out those connections. And it's not as formalized as like a website. And I think there's a huge benefit to that, but also like letting people know you're available to talk about um, applying to grad school. I've tried really hard to do that. Um, I know I'm in contact with one or like, have like three people right now about their applications to grad school and for one like one it's like a while out so it's just about like what they might want to study one it's more like giving them feedback on their personal statements and one's like somewhere in between there and so I think like I've tried to make myself available because my best resources were people who made themselves available to me and so um I think, you know, like research Twitter is like getting more, like getting more undergrads on a healthy Twitter, like healthy research Twitter when it is healthy, um, I think can be like such a good thing. And I'm trying to tell more people that I'm trying to use it right now for applying to the N or applying for an NSF. Um, so my hope is that can help and expand the network. Yeah. To, similarly, I definitely have talked to a lot of undergrads about like, yeah, I'm here if you want to talk about grad school, if you want to pick my brain, like how I got here and like how it, it terrible it was. So at some points along the way, yeah. um, but uh, I definitely, you made a good point about networking. That is another thing, like being first gen, I had no idea what that meant or like what I needed to do to do that. So that's like a whole other, whole other topic we could <laughs> discuss about, but no, it's true. I, I think I had a, uh, because of, I think my parents kind of scaffold that like networking for me because they were very early on like, oh, you should reach out to these people. They have common interests when I was in high school and I was like, I don't want to. And then I had to. And then I like increased my ability to like ask those questions because like networking can feel like you need this functional thing. And a lot of times it just starts from a conversation. Right. But if you don't know that it, you know, it's just hard to open the door even to know that it's okay to open that door to reach out to someone i still don't know how to do it because i i think it's i think all of these things are really great and this is a way to try to expand our like ability to engage with those conversations it's just like i it, it seems like a system level thing that like we're not getting compensated ex like we don't get anything extra out of this to your kind of Justin, you're a great peer-to-peer -peer mentor. And I do think, yeah, you do an excellent job. Let me talk to you up for a second. <laughs> you do a really good job reaching out to people. And like, for example, I think like, like when um, you first like dove into like puberty chronotype world, I remember we talked a lot and we both got a lot out of that. And also with the postdoc in our lab, I think you reached out to her and um, both helped one another with that. So I think, you know, like acknowledging too that like, I know you say you don't know how to network and I don't know, I'm just like, just to push back a little bit to say like, I think you do a really good job. It's just like the formal networking idea is like really unsavory to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it makes me think of like LinkedIn and suggested mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, connections. But I feel like, you have started to do a good job and you're great at like helping people network up to you. Thank you. That That's my goal. And that's what I want. I think it's trying to make it easier for other people to, to do that. Like I think the three of us really want to do that and push for that, but there's nothing in our program. Like we're not going to get any special accolade or like it might pay off in the long run. If we're looking to be like, we'll be, 
good mentors or good advisors. No direct incentives. Yeah, there's nothing. And so why would anybody want to engage with this? We're just, we're no, just really good people. That's what it is. We're yeah. just Top of the yeah. um, no, well, no, I think that's like super fair. I think I've had to like cut down on my like being available to like I offered to look at someone's personal statement and I got got it back to them like a few days after I had originally planned and I felt like I let them down. Um, in fact, I didn't. And so it's also good to be compassionate yes. to yourself. But like I had to balance out my other new brand spanking new uh, grad student responsibilities with like what I wanted to do. And, help someone else get into grad school, which won't be much help if I can't stay in grad school. So it's like, but it'd be nice to be a formalized process, an incentivized formal process. I think it's definitely like a larger conversation that's happening too in science, just how some faculty are doing all this extra work that's not technically like what's gonna get them the better job, but it's necessary. And so it's like, someone's gotta do it. I think I saw someone said that they included their Twitter profile and all of their like Twitter stuff in their like dossier for uh, tenure. I think, I think it's definitely becoming more and more common to like share your science communication work um, like on a CV or on an application. Um, but it definitely, it doesn't get recognized. Like, I don't know if my department's going to recognize me for even being on the podcast, you know, like, so um and it's not, I don't expect that. I don't expect that at all. Like, I'm just doing this because I want to. If you're listening, Liz may not expect it, but we do. We have high expectations. We want you to, to recognize us. Yeah. Well, like, it makes them look good. Like, it helps. Like, I think what's, like, I think the thing that, like, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall is, it's like, universities should be incentivized to do this. It makes their university look, look good. It helps their hopefully global mission of like improving the world um or educating more people um and that's you know I think an admirable goal cock cock university is get your stuff together um last week you tried to take down BEM and Freud and now going for universities list of enemies I have a post-it note of people who are I have a high priority to low priority enemy list on the back of my uh laptop it's meant half is it one post-it note it's one post-it note I'll read off the ones that I'm okay (laughs) with (laughs) Donald Trump is a high priority enemy Current postmaster general of the USPS is also a high priority enemy. And then it goes down from there. Freud's a medium priority, so I'll get around to it. He's dead, so it's not really like... pressing there. Can I just put a plug in? Shout out. Yeah. You need to vote. Register to vote, please. Yes, everyone vote. Yes. Help me help me bring the downfall of my high priority enemy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not just voting for a president, you're voting for the next postmaster general. And if more people had that in mind when they voted, I feel like more people would be engaged with the voting. That's that's the one thing that isn't limiting people from voting. Okay, so future direction. Yes. So uh, Dustin, what do you have for us as a future direction? So the thing that has recently come into my household is called Emily's Wonder Lab. And it is a wonderful awesome Netflix show about science and it is hosted by Emily. I can't remember her last name, so that's great. 
Um, Wonder Lab. Yeah, her last name is Wonder Lab. No, she, it, it's just really great to see diversity and representation in science. And so she's hosting the show. And what's really cool, like she is nine months pregnant during this. And all of the kids that are on it are diverse. And like, it's just really great to see this representation in, in like a STEM area. And I think it, it really speaks like it's been wonderful to be able to show my daughter that and be like, this is, this is what science is and like be able to, to really be engaged in that. And so I'm really excited about that and want everybody to see it and everybody to watch it and support. Ooh, okay. That's, I'll definitely check that out. I'm excited. Um, I'll show Mowgli my cat. Um, maybe he'll grow up to be a cat scientist. That'd be awesome. Um, that'd be cool. He's behind me sleeping. Um, Doesn't anyway, have that dedication. Um, Come on, Mowgli. Yeah, Start Googling. Mowgli. <laughs> so um, I have two. One that I prepared beforehand and one that was brought up by our conversation. So the first one is Magical Mushrooms and Mischievous Molds. The book by Robert Huddle, I think. Cornell professor taught my favorite class in undergrad. Um, it's the most... I, I He... Um, had a, so it was someone donated the book to a prison. And so he had someone who was in prison write to him and say, like, I didn't think this was going to be a great read, but I learned a lot. Thank you. And so like, I think shout out to him. I like just for general reading, it's actually really fun. So um, that's my first recommendation. The second is I'm a huge Boston Celtics fan and I got to be a, um, virtual fan the other night and Celtics game six coming up um so my other like future direction is a big Celtics win over the Toronto Raptors who I also love but um gotta choose so Celtics it is nice exciting all right Liz what's your future direction uh, yeah so for me I just like the semester just kind of started back up a couple weeks ago and so I'm thinking just take some time for some self-care, like go get a coffee or journal or whatever, whatever it is that take some time for yourself and just like relax. Cause even though I know there's all those deadlines, it's like, okay, you'll get to them. I love that. Okay. Thanks again for joining us, Liz. And thanks everyone for being a part of or listening to our podcast, being a part of our community. Um, we're happy you're here, whether you're with us physically in your presence or just listening along with us while you're cooking or practicing your self-care. Thank you so much for having me. The You Can Grad Door is on a vacation. <laughs>